The first step in creating a crop circle is to find a field. This is the key first step. Many crop artists now seek permission of the farmer and landowner to enter the field due to the harm these designs cause to crops and so yields from a field. The right kind of crop also makes a difference. Wheat, barley, and rapeseed oil are seen as being best. The plants need to be at the right stage of development. If they are too old and dry, they can break easily, leaving a telltale path of the artist's passage through the field. Too young, and they won't bend down enough, and the design will be hard to spot. Step 2. Plan the pattern. Some designs that have appeared are fiendishly complicated, but this makes it harder to create them. Crop artists tend to use a map and computers to plot their circles out beforehand, and some use GPS devices to help them create large patterns. Some also use more traditional techniques, such as dowsing rods to identify prime locations. Step 3. Getting some help. Making crop circles is a labor-intensive effort, and so most crop circles tend to have been created by small teams of people. The right equipment is also important. A length of tape or string to provide a guide, a garden roller can help with flattening. But a three to six foot piece of wooden board with ropes attached to each end is the traditional choice for stalk stomping. Step four, waiting for the cover of darkness. Venturing out in broad daylight can ruin the mystery of how a crop circle appeared, so they tend to be created at night, away from the prying eyes of unsuspecting locals. Artificial lighting can attract attention, so instead the crop circle creators prefer to work by the light, provided by the stars or moon after allowing time for their eyes to become accustomed to the dark. They will also park several miles away from the intended site and walk there to further avoid suspicion. Step 5. Carefully does it. By entering fields on existing tractor tracks and paths, crop circle creators can help to disguise how the crop circle got there. Sticking to hard ground also avoids leaving footprints, while careful movement through the growing plant helps to minimize signs that they were there. Once at the location for the pattern, try to only walk in areas where the crop will be flattened so their presence can go undetected, helping to add to the mystery. Step 6. Measuring out the design. Using tape or string, most crop artists will measure out the design. Some crop circle creators use surveying equipment to help ensure their shapes are perfectly geometric and to keep lines straight. Step 7. Flattening the crop. This is when the damage is done. Traditionally, the rope attached to the plank is looped over the shoulders and the foot is pressed into the wood, pressing it forward and down. This folds the stem and bends them in a regular pattern. By advancing in a shuffling gait, they can bend all of the plants in the same regular way. The difference between the way light is reflected off the bent stems compared to the upright plants is what creates the pattern. To make a perfect circle, one end of the plank is anchored to the ground and rotated around that point. Other crop circles have been made using guard rollers, which speeds up the process. Step 8. Making Supernatural Additions Many famous human-made crop circles feature grape shots, or signatures, smaller disjointed circles, or raised sections inside of the main circle. By shaping stems and unflattening portions, the crop circles take on an air of mystery and carry some artistic flair. And finally, step 9, 
be away by dawn. Getting caught it as the sun comes up is an embarrassing situation. So most crop circle creators time their pattern creations to be finished before dawn. Once completed, they sneak out the way they came in and wait for the conspiracy theories to start flying. At least, that's what I hear. Sometimes our imaginations are captured by the possibility of alternative explanations. Join me as we explore the historical events and public state of mind that influence the appeal and popularity of the most enduring alternative theories out there. I'm Ryan Nelson, and welcome to Conspiracy Theoryology. On this episode, Episode 9, Crop Circles. We will discuss the history of the popular modern crop circle phenomenon beginning in the 1970s. What theories have been put forward to explain the origin of these circles? Did the later confession of two serial artists settle the mystery, or are some of these crop circles still unexplained? How can an ancient Eastern metaphysical symbol help us understand our fascination with these fantastic field finds? After the break, we cultivate the information, harvest knowledge, and sow our investigative oats as we hunt for golden grains of explanation behind crop circles. Howdy, theoriologists. Let's talk crop circles. They've been attributed to meteorological phenomenon, earth energies, military experiments, underground archaeological structures, and even UFO activity. These golden works of art came into the spotlight in the 1970s when they began appearing in English grain fields. Easily seen from the air, their unique shapes and coloring are due to the light reflection off of folded or bent stalks that vary depending on direction and time of season as well as the type of crop. Most notably, these formations have consistent, uniform design without breaking, cutting, or damage to the crops beyond the folding of the stalks at the base. They've been found across the globe, in Canada, Australia, the United States, though most notably prevalent in the UK. They usually appear overnight and seem flawless at first light. Once the crops are harvested, though, the patterns disappear until the next growing season. The modern crop circle, with which we are all most familiar, began appearing in the English countryside, in the Wiltshire County, 
in the late 1970s. Now, some accounts state 1976, while others say 1978. See, they began as simple circular patterns, which then evolved into ever more complex patterns, including overlapping rings and circles and straight lines coming off of central patterns. The term crop circle is credited to an early researcher of the formations, Colin Andrews. I don't think it's a stretch to figure out how he coined the phrase and why it caught on. Field spirals and wheat twisties don't make use of the same poetic alliteration. Now, of course, as the phenomenon of these crop formations gained popularity and interest, connections were made to historical reference of similar phenomena. The earliest reference to the circular pattern appearing in a field is the case of the mowing devil, which occurred in 1678. The entertaining record ultimately reports that a farmer wakes to find his fields cut for him in a strange circular pattern. This, of course, also speaks to the criticism against the account as it references the fields being cut rather than laid down and bent. Reports were also made in the late 1800s of flattened crops that were in a spiral pattern. But most notable are the reports attributed directly to flying saucers in the 1960s in Australia and Canada. These saucer nests were reported on multiple occasions and never exhibited more complex patterns than the simple circular impressions in the field. They were regularly attributed to weather events such as downdrafts, water spouts, and dirt devils, and apparently no one ever got a photo. Now, as we discussed, the modern crop circle began to appear in the late 1970s. And in 1991, the curtain was pulled back, at least somewhat, with an admission by two gentlemen by the names of Doug Bauer and Dave Chorley. Bauer and Chorley confessed to making over 200 crop circles between 1978 and 1991 and believed that their efforts inspired copycat artists, which resulted in thousands more appearing in that time frame and beyond. The story of Doug Bauer and Dave Chorley is absolutely fascinating. And while we're not going to discuss it at length here, I've included multiple links in the show notes which expand on their artistic endeavors, which were inspired by news of the saucer nests in Australia. Now, of course, the appearance of and enthusiasm surrounding crop circles didn't end with the confessions of Bauer and Chorley. Unconvinced that these phenomenon could be all the work of serial artists and hoaxers, research groups continue to investigate these formations as they uh, continue to occur around the globe. Groups have even taken to providing guidelines for proper visitor etiquette when visiting a newly discovered circle. Such recommendation examples are don't enter a field without permission from the farmer. Now, these days some farmers allow visitors and some don't. Those that do tend to place an honesty box either at the entrance of the field or in the circle itself. They ask that you contribute with a customary donation uh, per person, and this helps build and maintain an understanding of the crop circle world and the farming community by helping the farmer recover his costs for damaged crops. They also recommend uh, 
that uh, if you're asked to leave a formation by a member of the farming staff, to do so quickly and politely. Of course, they ask never ever smoke cigarettes or anything else in a crop field. (laughs) It's a very dangerous fire hazard. Never leave any litter or objects of any kind inside the circles. They may cause a hazard to farming machinery during harvest or crop spraying and could potentially be a danger to wildlife. This, of course, includes crystals or other offerings that uh, were popular souvenirs left. Do not trample down any standing crop when making you your way into the fields or around the circles. Always follow the tractor lines, even if this means walking out of the field and in again if you pick the wrong route into the circle. Further damage to the crop by visitors can aggravate the farmers enormously and spoil the aerial views of the circles flying over them, not to mention potentially reduce the uh, the willingness of farmers to enter the fields. If you park your car nearby, don't park it in a farm or field entrances where you could cause a nuisance to the farmers, and never leave anything on display in your car that might attract the attention of thieves. Lock everything away securely, uh, or take only what you need to carry with you in person. Now, why'd I go over all those? Because the fact, the mere fact that there's a, a structured uh, recommendation of etiquette indicates uh, is is a sure sign of how how mainstream and prevalent these uh, these crop circles have become, almost to the point of being a a theme parked attraction. Now that's a really brief history of the crop circles. And at the start of the show, of course, you got to hear the wonderful step-by-step uh, directions on how to uh, how to make a crop circle. And of course, that's all predicated off of, of a lot of the activities in which the, uh, the crop circles are verifiably man-made. But what's more interesting than that is, uh, is the theoriology behind this. And, and perhaps an explanation of how we get into how we've developed such a fascination with these crop circles. See, the appeal of crop circles really is undeniable. I mean, people flock to these locations of the formations in droves to study them, to meditate, to commune with other beings, to harmonize energies, interpret messages to even debunk, or simply for the awe factor of such large-scale phenomenon. But with such a wide variety of interpretations and explanations, can there be a core, basic cause for the fascination we hold about crop circles? Well, I think so. And that explanation is the mandala. Now, what is a mandala? Well, from Wikipedia, a mandala which is Sanskrit, literally translating as circle, is a spiritual and ritual symbol in Hinduism and Buddhism representing the universe. In common use, mandala has come has become really a generic term for any diagram, chart, or geometric pattern that represents the cosmos metaphysically or symbolically, basically a microcosm of the universe. The basic form of most mandalas is a square with four gates containing a circle with a center point. Each gate is in the general shape of a a T. Mandalas often exhibit radial balance. 
In various spiritual traditions, mandalas may be employed for focusing attention of practitioners and adepts as a spiritual guidance tool for establishing a sacred space and as an aid to meditation and trance inducement. This use of mandala also reflects a belief and acceptance of sacred geometry for which the shapes reflect various aspects of self, the universe, and the connection between humans and the universe and spirit and matter. Now, we owe the reintroduction of mandalas into modern Western thought to Carl Jung, the Swiss analytical psychologist, famous really for founding uh, analytical psychology. In his pioneering explorations of the unconscious through his own art-making, Jung observed the motif of the circle spontaneously appearing. The circle drawings reflected his inner state at that moment. Familiarity with the philosophical writings of India prompted Jung to adopt the word mandala to describe these circle drawings he and his patients made. He, uh, I quote, uh, I sketched every morning in a notebook a small circular drawing a mandala, which seemed to correspond to my inner situation at the time. With the help of these drawings, I could observe my psychic transformations from day to day. My mandalas were cryptograms in which I saw the self, that is, my whole being, actively at work. Now, how can it be that circular drawings symbolize the wholeness of a person, is there some unique quality about the circles that make them important in the psycholog uh, psychology of human beings? I mean, why should modern people feel compelled to draw circles and create mandalas? A review of research in psychology and child development suggested that circles are actually a part of the fundamental structure of personal identity. So, with that in mind, let's look at circles and self. Research with infants has shown that we are born with a desire to actually look at circles. Infants less than a week old prefer to look at curved lines when given a choice between straight and curved ones. Babies three to five weeks old fix their eyes on the oval hairline framing a face. Babies at three months or even younger choose to look at simple, complete forms such as circles rather than complicated shapes. And it's been found that two-month-old infants can tell the difference between circles with patterns suggesting a face and circles with scrambled patterns. It's thought that, these, uh, that this ability to seek out circular face-like stimuli helped babies bond with their caregivers. The ability to recognize circles is built into our visual apparatus. Researchers have found that our eyes organize visual input into patterns even before transmitting perceptions to the brain. According to Gestalt psychology, simple closed forms such as circles are more quickly perceived and recognized as meaningful. Because of this, circles come forward uh, out of a confusing mass of random visual input and are recognized as something known and familiar. Circles are registered by the eye and pass directly to the visual cortex without immediate processing. Because circles look the same, whether right side up or turned upside down, the brain doesn't have time to do uh, intermediate processing to recognize a circle. 
as it does when identifying a square or some other form uh, you know, that's been rotated. The ease of the identification uh, actually gives circles an advantage over other forms when processing and, and gaining our attention. Circles also appear early in children's art. See, children's art expression begins as a random scribbling. It's been documented that children progress from scribbling to drawing circles as early as the age of two. By age three, children learn to draw circles without scribbling and begin to assign meaning to their circular forms. At age three or four, children's drawings evolve into more elaborate forms. Without any teaching by adults, they simultaneously and spontaneously create radiant suns, flowers, mandalas, and people with arms and legs sprouting from large circular heads. Now, I can attest to this directly. My daughter started doing this very early on. It was fascinating because just as as we discussed, I don't remember showing her any of these patterns. But very quickly, she had identified what a person should look like, you know, symbolically in drawing. From the moment of birth, the circle is associated with healthy physical and psychological development. Drawing mandalas taps into our natural affinity for circles and recalls some of our earliest experience. With, with Jung's perspective, we respond to a circle as once we responded to our parents' face. See, circles remind us of the fundamental fact that we exist and make us aware of our primary identity as a physical being that occupies space. Now, we're not going to get into all of the various aspects of self and, and that discussion uh, that, uh, that Jung developed, but, uh, but that's really the key there. See, Carl Jung explored the psychological meaning of mandalas. He saw mandalas as, a sim, uh, as symbolic of the inner process by which individuals grow toward fulfilling their potential for wholeness. In the mandalas created by his patients, Jung saw a natural process of generating and resolving inner conflicts that bring about greater complexity, harmony, and stability in the personality. Mandalas are important indicators of the process of personal growth that moves you toward fulfilling your particular identity and purpose in life. The mandalas we create indicate our Quote, premonition of a center of personality, a kind of central point within the psyche to which everything is related, by which everything is arranged, and which is itself a source of energy. The energy of the central point is manifested in the almost irresistible compulsion and urge to become what one is, just as every organism is driven to assume the form that is characteristic of its nature, no matter what the circumstances. And that comes from Carl Jung. According to Jung, the powerful generative center of our inner reality is the self. This point of focus within us cannot be directly known. It remains outside of awareness in the unconscious and yet its pattern guides our psychological development throughout life. The self is the true center of personality, but we are much more familiar with the ego, that which we know is I, 
the ego seems to us to be of central importance because we can know it directly with our conscious mind. So that's a real heady exploration of, uh, of mandalas and Jung's perspective. But let's put this together, right? How can we, how can we tie this together and see the crop circle as a mandala? Well, Jung's use of mandala in psychoanalysis, it's legendary and profound enough for many practitioners that it quickly moves into the esoteric. I mean, that's evident in what we just discussed. But how does this translate into an understanding of crop circles? Are crop circles large-scale mandala? Well, I came across an excellent summary that I think adequately pulls the two concepts together. The CropCircleSecrets.org site addresses the sacred geometry in crop circles with this. Even to the hardened, uh, hardened skeptic, crop circle designs reveal a facility by their makers of creating a visual harmony that is pleasing to the eye, much like an ancient temple or a classical painting. The proportions are balanced, the shape rhythmic their outlying elements forming part of an unseen whole. Upon close scrutiny, even the small grape-shot circles that flank certain formations lie at their given remote locations, not by fluke, but by engineered and premeditated design. Markers and clues for the observer to follow and uncover. Not surprising, then, to find sacred geometry lying at the heart of the fundamental blueprints of many formations, sometimes blatantly, sometimes veiled like a secret waiting to be uncovered only by the most persistent of minds. I have the link to that uh, in the show notes as well. Before we summarize, let's put uh, crop circles to the endurance test. You know, how long have they been around? Well, in their most recognizable form since the 1970s. I mean, some might argue much longer if folklore is to be considered accurate reference to crop circles. Has it had a large influence in popular culture and media? Well, yes, absolutely. A crop circle is like a giant meme or a stadium-sized emoji that catches the eye. Businesses are using the art form commercially now. Is it still relevant today? Well, yes, They're still a mystery, and they're still hard to explain. Crop circles still appear annually in ever greater size and complexity, and the audience for them continues to grow. And finally, will it continue to capture public imagination going forward? Absolutely. If Jung's premise has merit, then we will continue to explore ourselves through these fascinating formations so long as whoever is creating these patterns continue to introduce new and exciting complexities. But with all that said, let's try and summarize this. You know, as usual, most efforts are spent on either proving or debunking the crop circle phenomenon. In researching this, I came across dozens of articles, discussions, and opinions, almost all of which were spent trying to either find the deeper message hidden within the circles, or trying to explain them away, in almost desperate detail, as if they were spent fully in hopes of saving us poor fools that give these things the time of day. 
but also as usual, I think they're missing the bigger point. And that is why. Why do conspiracists, esoterics, and alien enthusiasts find crop circles fascinating? And more curiously, why do the skeptics and non-believers find them just as irresistible? And why do the hoaxers keep making the circles when they're verifiably man-made? Well, we figured this out, at least in part, with the mandala connection. These shapes speak to us deeply, psychologically. We want them to have meaning. We want them to convey a deeper message. We want them to be profound. And maybe they are. Whether we want them to be alien, magical, natural, or man-made, our preference for origin may simply be determined by where we are already looking for answers. Yes, most of these occurrences are proven to have man-made oranges. And crop circles have definitely moved into the commercial mainstream. But there are some that defy explanation. Some that don't have a clear origin. Some that seem a little too hard to dismiss. Now, if aliens are leaving us messages, then they're trying to reach us at a basic, abstract, psychological level. If Earth energies are generating these circles, then the complexities of physics and natural phenomenon are that much more amazing. And if they're all simply man-made, then these hoaxers and artists are tapping into a built-in human appeal of which even they aren't fully aware. I actually like to think it's somewhere in the middle. Perhaps we're being driven by something, either external or internal in influence, that draws us to and expresses outwardly these beautifully simple yet complex shapes. Crop circles are both mystifying and satisfying, and maybe they are, in some way, helping us get to that answer, that deeper meaning, that everyone can't help but want to find when we see them. Okay, well that's all for today. Thank you so much for joining me. The show was recently added to Spotify, so welcome to all the new Spotify listeners. You've provided a very warm and receptive welcome, and it's nice to have another opportunity to share the discussion. If you like what you hear, go ahead and hit that follow or subscribe button so that you don't miss the discussion. Connect with me via email, contact at conspiracytheoryology.com. Join the Facebook group, find me on Twitter, at TheoryologyPod, or just recommend the show to others. There's no higher compliment than to know that you have shared the show with others. Let them know that they can hear the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or through pretty much any podcast app they have. Or just send them to the website. Of course, all the info can be found at the show website, conspiracytheoryology.com, including how to support the show on the new Podbean patron page. Music is by Adam Henry Garcia. If you'd like to hear more of Adam's music, visit adamhenrygarcia.bandcamp.com. Now I'll see you again in two weeks when we'll tackle another theory and make sense of the public popularity. So until next time, remember, beyond the conspiracy and behind the belief lies the theoryology.